Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Divisional playoff round, New York Giants. Welcome to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. I am, of course, the Daily News' beat writer for the Giants, NFL columnist, still covering a postseason run. Who would have thought it? Sitting here with my Noggin Boss hat, custom-made Talking Ball hat, Thanks a lot to the guys at Noggin Boss for getting me ready and fitted for this huge Eagles-Giants playoff week and playoff game. We do the whole league here, obviously, but have to focus and zero in on this NFC East rivalry, obviously, and needed to start, had to start, on the most fun topic of the week, which is Pizza Hut. Nick Sirianni ordering stuffed crust Pizza Hut with his offensive staff and his coaching staff while watching the Giants and Vikings game and caught some heat because people are saying he doesn't have good taste. Then there's New York fans saying Philly pizza is trash. I'm here to say, whoa, 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 slow down. You're talking to a guy who grew up in Philadelphia, who now lives in North Jersey and Giants country, has covered the Giants now for seven seasons running. And I'm here to tell you there's good pizza in both places. But first, Pizza Hut is not trash. I'm going to defend Nick Sirianni here. The Pizza Hut buffet back in the day, $5 all you can eat, breadsticks, pizza, dessert pie, doesn't get any better than that. Anybody who's ever done it is just nodding right now as you're watching me on YouTube or listening on Apple or Spotify. So stop pretending like you wouldn't dive in on a Pizza Hut stuffed crust pizza. Brian Dable, the Giants coach, even said he pointed to his stomach when asked if he likes it, and he said, I mean, so there you have it. No controversy here. But wanted to give a shout-out to some of my favorite pizza places in both areas so that you, the fans, can go try them out. If you're going down to Philadelphia for the game this weekend, maybe you can try some of my favorites. Um, And also people up here in New Jersey have some recommendations for you as well. Who doesn't like a good pie? So I'm going to start with Natal's in Waldwick, New Jersey. The same pie every time. Good quality pizza. And their Sicilian to me is top notch. So get the Sicilian at Natal's. Shout out to them here in Waldwick, New Jersey. Natoli's in Secaucus, New Jersey. Great pie. Pepperoni is excellent margarita as well. A little bit oily, but just the right amount to add some flavor. A great pizza. Northeast Philadelphia, RIP, I believe, to Paisi Pizza in Northeast Philly, where I grew up. Paisi's was the staple. I believe it was buy one, get one free on Monday nights, plus a two liter for something like, you know, 13 bucks or 15 bucks when I was growing up. That was the staple. But my favorite Philadelphia pie right now. And my the one I get whenever I go back is Santucci's. Santucci's original square pizza. I think there's two of them, one on Ridge and one on Broad Street. Go get a Santucci's pie and drop in the comments of this podcast, whether it's on YouTube or on Apple or Spotify, wherever it is. I need you to tell me what you think. It's a square pizza with the cheese on the bottom and the tomato sauce on top. I like the plain. You can put stuff on it, but just an incredible, incredible experience there. Um, and then want to go out to a couple of my favorites that are in random spots in the country. These aren't. This isn't the full list. These are just ones I think people don't know much about. 
Lou Malnati's in Chicago. I know it's a famous chain, but I hear all these people saying, if you go to Chicago and deep and get deep dish pizza, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know food. That's BS. Deep dish pizza is amazing. Lou Malnati's is the top, top notch. So shout out Lou's. And then have to, have to bring up, I know some of my college buddies are nodding their heads right now. Rocco's Pizza in South Bend, Indiana. Rocco's, if you've been to South Bend and you haven't been to Rocco's, you haven't been to South Bend. But remember, Pizza Hut is not trash. And if you're saying you wouldn't go to the Pizza Hut buffet right now for lunch, you're a liar. All right. I want to go over to uh, betonline.ag and remind you all the great offerings they have there before we get into the football Bet Online remains your number one source for all sports betting needs this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UC, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's all caps, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. And where I'm going to start is by quickly reviewing an impressive performance by the Giants in Minneapolis, defeating the Vikings 31-24. to Of course, Daniel Jones, a record-setting performance. First quarterback ever with more than 300 passing yards, 70 rushing yards, and two passing touchdowns in a playoff game. Dexter Lawrence deserves credit for being a monster in the middle as he has been all season, including on the final drive and the final play on which Xavier McKinney made the tackle short of the sticks on tight end TJ Hawkinson. But I also wanted to call attention to uh, the underrated contributors and performers, guys like Matt Breda. Uh, who had a hard third and one run at running back, spelling Saquon Barkley, Cordell Flott and Dane Belton, rookie DBs who made key plays on the final drive. Nick McLeod, a corner who started this season, uh, wasn't expected to be much of anything other than a special teamer and has become essentially a mainstay in the secondary in that positionless defense. He's versatile, can do a lot, long, rangy, tough. Jason Pinnock obviously got hurt, but tough guy, enabled them to move Xavier McKinney and Wink Martindale, move Xavier McKinney down near the box late in the game. A key adjustment. Was it related to McKinney not being able to catch an interception or not? Not sure. Uh, But McKinney, of course, ran that deep post for Justin Jefferson in the second half and broke it up. Obviously, Martindale, uh, another example of why he should be a strong head coaching candidate, holds Justin Jefferson to seven catchers for 47 yards in this game. Adoree Jackson, uh, his return was huge. You saw Lawrence Cager enter the mix at tight end and get some meaningful snaps. And Kenny Galladay with a big block late, only playing four snaps, but factoring in meaningfully. And rookie right tackle Evan Neal, a guy who I've been harping on a lot as a potential weak spot for this Giants offense, especially in Minnesota, where he had struggled early in the first half of that game. I thought he acquitted himself well. excuse me, and against Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter, Evan Neal came out well. I also thought Kafka and Dable had a good uh, plan for having Daniel Jones take off the second that he saw protection protection breaking down, and I think that helped 
the offensive line and the offense as a whole continue to get a couple yards here and there and make sure uh, that they weren't in many third and longs. They weren't, frankly, early in the game in any third downs at all. I think turning my head and turning our look and eyes to the Eagles game in the divisional round, I think that uh, the Eagles defense is faster than Minnesota's. It's better than Minnesota's. And the Giants won't be able to get away with all the things they did against the Vikings. Uh, But that said, a tremendous win for the franchise. I think Joe Shane and the front office deserve a ton of credit uh, for their personnel decisions that especially reinforce the depth of this roster throughout the season. Obviously, the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit for um, elevating especially some of their key players, best players, guys like Andrew Thomas, Dexter Lawrence, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley as a bounce back year, um, all of those things. But, you know, guys like Isaiah Hodgins, Nick McLeod, John Feliciano at center, uh, and on down the list, I think all of these moves and savvy ideas, especially from a pro personnel side, have helped the Giants not only weather injuries early in the season when they were losing guys left and right, but also have a lower floor across the board. Um, you know, Jalen Smith, Jared Davis on at inside linebacker now. You can just see a reinforcement of this roster that we haven't seen in a long time. Um, a lot of front office competence now. It wasn't hard to go up from where the Giants were, but credit to Shane and the Giants for doing that. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention also Darnay Holmes, the slot corner. Two huge plays that didn't get talked about much, but blowing up screens to Dalvin Cook in the second half against Minnesota, they were major plays. A major reason why the Giants limited big plays was Holmes especially was ready for those plays. And as a strong tackler and a hard-nosed player and a smart guy who studies a lot of film, he knew exactly what was coming and when he shot those gaps, he fired forward, he took those risks and made those plays. As he told me, you have to execute on those risks when you take them. He did just that, and I think an unsung hero from uh, from that standpoint. So the Giants' first playoff win since 2011, uh, the 2011 Super Bowl run, so really in the 2012 calendar year, so the first time in 11 years, um, was a bit alarming to see just how excited and over the moon Giants ownership was after this victory. This is a franchise that's proud as one for Super Bowls. Uh, they only won one wild card playoff game, but it just shows you how long it's been, how desperate they've been to get back to this point, how difficult of a slodge it's been. And frankly, it's due to all of their own mistakes, obviously, and they've taken a lot of heat for it. So understandable. Uh, why they are so relieved, uh, but certainly have a huge test against the Eagles. And for a Giants team that went 1-4-1 and in their division, uh, no guarantee that they can win this game, let alone keep it close. That said, their coaching has given them an advantage. Uh, their, their blowout loss to the Eagles at home, 48-22 in early December, was a game where Saquon Barkley wasn't fully healthy, Dory Jackson didn't play, Xavier McKinney didn't play, and so on and so forth. Uh, Dallas Goddard, I believe, wasn't in that game either for the Eagles, though. Um, you know, so the the key to this game, however, you know, I'm mentioning all those guys, Aziz Ojolari, he might not play. We can talk about everybody in this game. Lane Johnson, the right tackle, the Eagles. Um, he's dealing with a groin injury that's going to require surgery after the season. He's playing through it. What level will he be? We can throw all of these things out the window and just talk about one thing that's a key to this game. Is Jalen Hurts healthy? In my opinion, if Hurts' right shoulder is okay, 
I think the Eagles win and it's not close. If Hertz is banged up or the Giants smell blood in the water, if he's not able to execute all of those QB runs and take those hits he's used to taking to make those plays and keep the defense honest, then I think it's anybody's ball game. Um, we have Zach Berman from The Athletic who covers the Eagles extremely well, formerly of the Inquirer, used to cover the Giants as well. He will give us in our second segment a, a in, an in-depth breakdown from the Eagles side and really of the full game. Tells us a little bit about their roster makeup, about how the Eagles came together, about some of their most interesting personalities and how he feels it's going to go. He also has information on Jalen Hurts' injury, his status, and an opinion on how this will go from a Philly perspective. The Giants loose. Are the, are the Eagles just as loose as the Giants are going into this game? Zach will tell you that. Um, but to me, the key to the game, there's a lot of keys to the game. There is the Giants have to stop the run. There is the Giants have to limit turnovers, really not turn the ball over. Don't give up big plays. These are all things, in fairness, to the Giants that they have done very well this season, which is why they're in this position, or at least better than they've done in the past. And even though normally I'll give you three keys, I have one more. Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley needs to be the Giants' bell cow in this game. It hasn't been how their offense has operated recently. They've put it more on Daniel Jones' shoulders. But you look at how the Eagles have lost games, particularly when the Washington Commanders went in with Taylor Heineke and won. I think that Brian Robinson and the Washington Commanders, they controlled that game. I believe they had the ball for something like 41 minutes when they played the Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field late in the season and won. And the Giants are going to need to do the same thing. Keep their offense on the field, control the clock, move their defensive line back, and don't get into too many passing situations, especially third and longs, where the Giants or the Eagles' extremely deep pass rush can get there. And we're talking about a pass rush that, you know, Josh Sweat, Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, um, Brandon Graham, Robert Quinn, a guy who hasn't made the impact they thought he would, but who knows, could rear his head. And Damakong Su, um, Jordan Davis on the interior, more of the run stopper. But I mean, on and on this list goes of how deep uh, the Eagles are up front. The Giants, if they let that defensive front eat and, and involve themselves in the game and become huge factors, that's all she wrote. If they can control the run game, keep the ball on the ground, don't turn the ball over and keep the Eagles offense off the field and the pass rush at bay, that is the recipe to success. Now, wanted to share with you too, I had a lot of conversations with league sources after Daniel Jones' landmark performance in Minnesota because going into that game, we told you here, he's Danny Dimes. If he won that game and played great, he might turn into Danny Dollars. And before the game, I told you three years, $100 million, maybe 60 to 75 million guaranteed. Well, I talked to several former general managers after the Minnesota game, and two of the three think the price is going up. One told me he thinks Jones can command 35 to 38 million a year, and his contract could even expand to a four-year deal rather than a three-year deal if he beats the Eagles. Another told me that there's quarterback contracts out there, like Kyler Murray's, for example, 160 million guaranteed, 46 million a year, long-term deal. That sounds like crazy money for a guy like Daniel Jones. However, as this former GM told me, when you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, Chargers, Bengals, Ravens, these are all teams that coming up are going to reset the quarterback market again. And so even though 160 million guaranteed for Daniel Jones sounds like a lot now, two years from now, if he continues to ascend, and if you truly believe he is ascending, 
that money would look good eventually once Justin Herbert gets paid and Trevor Lawrence gets paid. And there's people right now throwing around terms. I just heard the great Merrill Reese in Philadelphia on John Clark's podcast uh, down in Philly. Merrill Reese said that Daniel Jones is playing like a top 10 quarterback right now. So if you say top 10 quarterback in a negotiation and the sides can agree on that, you're talking big money. Now, I did talk to another former GM who said he would still temper uh, the offer to Jones that he thinks Jones's agent would have to meet in the middle and frankly, way lower than they would want something like two years, 42, 45 million. Um, so that was only in the 21 to 23 or 24 million dollar a year range. I don't think that's realistic that Jones would accept that. Um, and I think Jones, you know, the listen, the Giants have a franchise tag to use. And even though Saquon Barkley needs to get signed too, I think that the most important asset is the quarterback. And so I expect, at least as of this moment, I believe the franchise tag will go on Daniel Jones. And if it does, that automatically puts a one-year salary um, above $30 million. And so I think that ends up being your starting point in negotiations there. Uh, But this former GM's point was this. If Daniel Jones gets paid monstrous money, Kyler Murray money, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. You're taking money out of one pot to another. And Joe Shane and the Giants, what they want to do, what they're focused on, their main goal is to create sustainability. And so do they 100% believe in Jones? Do they want to commit so much money that it limits how they can build up the rest of the roster that even though the Giants are in this position, it's a lot of one-year contracts. There's a good amount of veterans who probably won't be here next year. There's just a lot about this current Giants team that's not going to look the same down the road. So you want to retain Daniel Jones. He's definitely your quarterback, at least next year. He likely now has commanded a significant long-term extension, but there is that conversation of, is it just as much the system he's in as Daniel? And will Jones take a little bit lower than maybe free agent market value because he recognizes that part of his thriving is playing with Dable and Kafka and he doesn't want to leave. So there's all those things to consider. But I think my major takeaway is he is now Danny Dollars after that amazing performance in Minnesota. Unless he completely lays an egg against the Eagles in the divisional round, I think that's where his value is now. Uh, What these former GMs have told me, you know, the 35 to $38 million range, uh, depending on the deal, you're talking about guarantees going 90 or even above. Um, I do think that the existence of the Kyler Murray contract, given the fact that Kyler needed a homework clause initially to make him study, even though they took it out eventually, there was a homework clause in his contract because his work ethic wasn't there. um, And he hasn't won a playoff game. In fact, uh, did not play well in his only playoff appearance. Daniel Jones, on the other hand, had a record performance in his postseason debut and also was a first one in, last one out guy. And that's not a cliche or an exaggeration. That's what he is. So will be very interesting. But the bottom line is uh, credit to Daniel Jones and uh, he will get paid because of this performance. Before we get over to Zach Berman, just a couple of quick things around the league. It was interesting to me that Brandon Staley and Todd Bowles in LA and Tampa Bay did not get fired. Um, At least my understanding is people around the league consider the Chargers owner, Dean Spanos, to be a guy who would not be willing to spend a ton of money and take on a second head coaching contract at the same time. And so part of the rationale in retaining Staley and Tom Telesco now is an organization that this is rare now in the NFL, where there's a lot, where there's several billionaires now. Uh, owning owning these teams. And it is commonplace 
like for the Giants right now, they're paying three head coaches at the moment, right? So unusual for somebody to be labeled as cheap, but in this case, that appears to be uh, what people's perception is of the Chargers and the reason why they're firing coordinators like OC Joe Lombardi, but Staley is getting another year. Not sure if that's the right decision there or not, um, but fascinating to see how it works out. And then the same thing in Tampa. I can see an argument for why Todd Bowles uh, should deserve one more year based on how he took over, Bruce Arian stepping down. Bowles now can hire his own offensive staff with Leftwich out uh, and Tom Brady gone. I'll just say this, though. The Buccaneers' defense was much worse this season um, with Bowles as, a, as the head coach running that show. Um, that was surprising to me. Bowles is a great coordinator. I do think in the end he's going to be one of those guys who, listen, he's a great defensive coordinator. Not sure the head coaching part is going to work out. But certainly that division is winnable next year for everybody in it. So um, I guess I can understand why the Buccaneers would consider running it back, though this does look like a good time to press a reset from all these leadership standpoints. We'll see how that works out uh, for Bulls. And then though though, though there haven't been um, you know any hirings on the head coaching circuit um, as of right now, Interesting that Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, is staying um, in the Motor City on Dan Campbell's staff, and that Jim Harbaugh, the Michigan head coach, is returning to Michigan because, frankly, this looked like a very competitive, deep head coaching circuit and cycle. But now those are two of the hottest, most likely hires and candidates off the board. And so now you have Sean Payton, who's doing the rounds, his rounds, and you know, essentially taking every interview and being offered at every interview, but will he take a job? Because frankly, he's in television right now. And even though we know he wants to be back in coaching, that's a guy who's going to want an ideal scenario and situation. I think the Carolina Panthers are a fascinating uh, place to watch. You know, I think Tom Brady's destination, maybe could that impact where Sean Payton goes? Obviously uh, tampering Tom and, and Payton were trying to get down to Miami together before, how will that shake out? That's something to watch. But very, very intriguing now how the coaching cycle and candidacy and candidates have thinned. I think a guy like Frank Reich, who just started emerging as a candidate in some places, I think you're going to see his name heat up. He wants to get back in at a head coaching spot. And frankly, I think both of the Giants coordinators, you have to consider them serious contenders as well for jobs. Mike Kafka, the OC, and Wink Martindale, who deserves to be a head coach somewhere and finally has an interview request with the Colts. Um, I will say this again, he deserves to be a head coach. However, there may be nothing more important for the Giants program, for Brian Dable's program at the moment than um, than, cont- than keeping Wink Martindale, than retaining Wink, Wink Martindale. He has been that important uh, to what the Giants do. So, There's your quick preview of a huge game. Can't wait to get down to Lincoln Financial Field. And now to prepare us for that third meeting and that rivalry with the Eagles and the Giants in the NFC East. Before we get to Pat's picks on all the divisional games in our third segment, here comes Zach Berman from The Athletic and the Birds with Friends podcast. We'll be right back on Talking Ball. All right. Welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. We are here with a very special guest, Zach Berman from The Athletic the co-host of Birds with Friends, the podcast. Go check that out. And author of the book, Underdogs, the Philadelphia Eagles' Emotional Road to Super Bowl Victory. And 
used to cover the Giants. Is that correct, Zach? I did 2010 and 2011, and I left in the middle of the 2011 season, and they went on to win the Super Bowl. So I don't <laughs> think those two events are related, but I, I recall watching the Super Bowl and thinking, man, I, I should be covering that team right now. And the last time prior to the Minnesota game that the Giants had won a playoff game to show everybody how long it was, how long the drought was. So you wrote a book about an Eagles Super Bowl and I'm just curious, from your vantage point, you're around the team every day. Will you be writing another one this year? Is Philly <laughs> going to go and do it? Uh, I, I, do, I don't want to sound like the coaches and the players and say one game at a time, but it's, 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 it's hard to see, you know, three wins right now. It's, 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 it's can they beat the Giants and then who's the opponent next week? I think that if, if they were to get that far uh, and they play against – Kansas City or Buffalo, that's a tall task. But I, I think, you know, I mean, the Eagles are 14 and three, best record in the NFL this year. They've, they've, they've answered the bell just about every week. Uh, so absolutely, they have a, a good shot. And when you look at it just in terms of the odds, the fact that, uh, that they're coming from the NFC as opposed to the AFC, so to, you know, their, their odds are more favorable than some of the AFC teams. So we'll see. But, you know, Again, I, I sound like a coach when I say this. I'm I'm only <laughs> focused right now on what's going to happen this weekend. I know. Seriously, Sirianni might hire you on quality control. Yeah. That answer, yeah. that was yeah. that was expert stuff. Um, so the question everybody has, and I think the key to the game is Jalen Hurts' health. Could you clarify just what is his injury or what was his injury, and how healthy do you think he will be, and how close to his MVP level do you expect him to be for this playoff game? So he's a sprained shoulder, sprained right throwing shoulder, and uh, how there's there's two effects there that you can look at how it affects him throwing the ball and then taking hits and and, and trying to avoid re injury or pain. Now, when he came back for that Giants game in Week 18, he clearly was was not at his full health. Uh, the Eagles didn't really run him; they weren't designed runs in that game, and. And the other part to that is is it was a very modified game plan. And he he said he played through pain, and a big part of that was trying to return so they can win that game, he can shake some rust off, and they can get the bye, and he can get healthier. It's an obvious statement to say he's two weeks healthier now than he was the last time he played. But mm -hmm. he's also, when they play against the Giants, he'll be more than a month past that injury. So I, I need to think that you're going to see as close to the full Jalen Hurts experience as as they can get. There's obviously, you know, a pain threshold that I can't account for. Only only Jalen can speak to that. But I I don't think you'll see the Hurts you saw in Week 18. I think you'll see closer to the pre-injury Hurts as far as the way they use him. Very meaningful if we do see exactly what you said there, close to the Jalen Hurts experience. As Brian Dable said this week, there's only one Jalen he would know from his time at Alabama. So now the Giants. Although he did bench him, right? So, so that is one thing. You know, whenever Dable uh, talks about Jalen Hurts, like he he did bench him in the national championship game. What? So, yeah. It's a good point, and I yeah. I wonder if he was a little humbled because I'm watching that that first game when it was the 48-22 Eagles and Sirianni left Jalen in the game, and the Eagles ran it up a little bit. There are a lot of us in New York looking at that and wondering. He's probably never going to say it, but wonder if Hurts has something to give back to Dable here. And that's what's going on. I guess, like I said, we probably will never know. We'll yeah. see on, on Saturday night. Um, up here in New Jersey, 
North Jersey, the Giants uh, have been loose. They've been acting like a team with house money, frankly. You know, mm-hmm. they, they don't feel any pressure because they weren't even supposed to be in the last game, let alone win, beat the Vikings and be here. How are the Eagles acting coming off a bye? Best, te- best record in the league, but they weren't winning 10 in a row down the stretch like the Niners. They had some injuries. So what's the vibe around the Eagles facility going into this this game? Yeah, very businesslike. Very, you know, and and part of that comes from uh, Nick Sirianni's not trying to enlarge the playoffs any more than what they typically are. It's it's interesting. They are the number one seed. They're they're fourteen and three. You could look at it like they have all this pressure on them. I think it, it would be a, a little different if they didn't have some of those you know late season hiccups. If J- if Jalen didn't get hurt, if Lane Johnson wasn't hurt. Uh, because really what the, the, the bye week gave them a chance to, to reset, to get healthier, to focus on, on some of the core stuff that they did during, uh, training camp OTAs. It's Mm. different than say the Patriots when the Patriots were undefeated and it's, it's, it's like Super Bowl or bust. I don't think that, that now I can say from the fan base, there's certainly expectations that they win this weekend. Uh, but from the team, I don't sense a tight team. It's it's not a team like 2017 that that was like embracing the underdog theme. You know, they had they were starting Nick Foles. They were underdogs going into the game. The Eagles are the favorites. They're expected to win. Uh, mm. But I don't see a team that's that's uh, that's putting undue pressure on themselves. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. That is the kind of the polar opposite of the approach in the 2017 season. You wrote recently about the job Howie Roseman has done in the front office, and certainly he seemed to recognize when other people may have not done so that the Eagles could add some pieces and try and do it again this year. You had a quote in a recent story I know you had kind of explained, but I was wondering if you could expand on it here is Howie saying, you can only rebound from the decisions you don't make. And he said that back in camp. In your mind, what did that mean? And why has Roseman been, at least in my mind, the, the executive of the year? Yeah, so when I, th- I think of, of, of that statement that, that Howie's made, and, and, he, and he made that one to the team website, and he's made variations of it over, over the past year, it's, it's essentially that there's such an impulse in Philadelphia, in the NFL for action, right? You know, mm. if so sign player X and if you don't sign player X, well sign the next one because you have a hole at safety, right? And it's, it's really, it's, it speaks to, obviously the Eagles are an aggressive front office. Howie Roseman is an aggressive general manager, uh, but there's a discipline that's also required. And I think he really showed that this off season is, is is that it was very clear they needed a cornerback, they needed a safety, they you know they they needed edge rusher, they needed a wide receiver, but they didn't need everything on day one, and and it's it's pretty clear that well I shouldn't say pretty clear there was there was kind of this this uh, this criticism and I was I was curious too what are they doing here when are they going to address wide receiver they can't think that these cornerbacks that they have are the answer uh, but it. If, if, if they don't sign Marcus Williams to play safety, it's not as if they just went to the next safety on the board, right? What they were, they were mm. disciplined there. And then they were opportunistic when Chauncey Garner Johnson becomes available at, 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 at wide receiver. If they don't get Calvin Ridley or they don't get Alvin or they don't get Allen Robinson. Well, mm-hmm. don't overpay for somebody. You're, you're sitting there draft night, AJ Brown's available and at cornerback, 
the Giants know James Bradbury. You know, all the Giants fans know the James Bradbury situation. Well, yeah. people say the Eagles were lucky that James Bradbury fell into their laps. No, the Eagles were were opportunistic and and they were holding that cap space there in case something like that happened. So right. it's it, when I think of of that expression, it's it's that if you can rebound from 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 when you don't make the decision, but if you do sign somebody, it's hard to rebound from that once that that resource, whether it's a draft pick or whether it's cap space, once that's allocated, it's hard to rebound from that. That's a sunk cost at that point. A great analysis. What's fascinating to me about Howie too is I know there's some executives or coaches who maybe block out the noise a little bit better than others. I know Howie sees it all. And in Philadelphia, it's hard to hear everything people say about you and not react and not, like you said, you know, it's you have to fight the impulse to satisfy the fan base, especially if you know they're calling for a receiver and you know you need one. That takes a lot of discipline to hear it and to not actually take the action early and maybe jump the gun. So um, absolutely credit to him. You mentioned James Bradbury. I'm glad you did. Um, what are, What is he feeling? How is he acting? How are the Eagles acting on his behalf coming into this third matchup against his former team? I know Darius Slay uh, was kind of pounding the table saying they won one for JB when they first met. Yeah, Bradbury's thrilled, right, to be in, in, in this situation right here. I mean, everything he could have – uh, wanted this past offseason, it, it's kind of worked in his favor. He it was tough timing by the Giants. I I understand the Giants were in a business situation too. There, right? They were trying to get get some type of value for him. They couldn't. They cut him after the draft, and it's it's hard for a player when you're cut after the draft. So James Bradbury didn't get the type of contract that I that he, that, that he would have signed had he became a free agent in in March. That said. He he joined. He was he was smart in terms of the type of team that he joined. He saw something in the Eagles' defense. He saw something in the on the Eagles' roster. He's played outstanding this year. It's it's probably the best season of his career, which you don't usually see this deep into someone's career. Uh, and he doesn't have like significant playoff experience, right? It, it, I, I think he had one playoff game in Carolina. Obviously, with the Giants, he 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 did not go to the playoffs. Uh, so here he is on a number one seed in the divisional round of the postseason. He's a he's a free agent after this season. He's going to have a big market for him, I imagine. Uh, so I, I I think the the Giants um, storyline there that was a big storyline the first game. Uh, at, at this point, the third time they're playing them. Certainly, James Bradbury has had a sense of vindication, but I think this is, you know, trying to win for the Eagles and trying to build up his value, which he's done quite a bit this year. Staying on that defense, you wrote recently about a fascinating guy, it seems, Josh Sweat. Uh, can you tell us, first of all, is he really going full and playing full after that being stretchered off with that neck injury a couple weeks ago? And two, what is it about him that makes him so interesting, which you, yeah. I thought you really profiled well in The Athletic? I appreciate you asking that, Pat. Um, so yeah, the the injury he's he's fine. It was if I hate to say it like this, but it looks scarier than it actually was, right? Uh, mm. And what I mean by that is uh, the I, I would say me in the press box, the fans in the stands, the viewing public didn't see him talking on the field, right? He was communicating with teammates on the field. There was a lot that was done from a uh, like precautionary standpoint and, and, you know, going to the hospital after the game, but he's fine. He, he actually wanted to play in week 18. He did not. 
but he's not even on the injury report at this point. As far as what makes him interesting, James uh, uh, Josh Sweat builds computers from scratch, right? Which is an atypical hobby for an NFL player. I, I don't think I'm generalizing NFL players. I've been in locker rooms now for you know 13 years, and he uh, he I you don't run across many players who build computers from scratch. He builds about two a year. He's he's built over 20 during the past decade, and it's it's a hobby. It's a passion of his. And I, I think it was important to highlight because he's uh, there's a lot more to Josh Sweat than 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 meets the eye. He's a reserved person in the locker room. They have a lot of high profile players on the team, and I don't think he's someone who fans know quite a bit about. He's someone who a lot of teammates, frankly, don't know quite a bit about. Um, but but there's a lot there. And then also he he's he's had to literally rebuild his body almost from from scratch. He he was a top recruit in high school who had a devastating knee injury that almost his leg almost needed to be amputated. Uh, he, he, uh, last year before the playoff game, um, he, he did not play in the playoff game because he actually had a, a ruptured artery that happened randomly. And, uh, it was a life threatening situation. He had to get a procedure and he had to rebuild his body during the off season. So he builds computers. He, he rebuilt his body. He's had 11 sacks this year in 15 games. He's, he's one of the key players on the Eagles. I thought you did a fascinating and great job too of connecting how his mind works in building computers and how he compartmentalizes to how he approaches football. Everybody go read that. Um, I, I read it this morning. Fantastic read. All right. I know your time's tight here, Zach. So two last questions. First, tell me from an Eagles standpoint, what wins the Eagles this game and what loses the Eagles this game? Well, so what wins the Eagles this game is if – if they play their game on offense, they don't turn over the ball, they don't have early three and outs, and they can build an early lead. Uh, when this team plays with a lead, they are really tough to stop. And that might seem like an obvious statement, but when they can play with a lead, that pass rush can be absolutely devastating. They have four players this year with double-digit sacks. First time that's happened in NFL history, 70 sacks overall. Um, so if if you can force the Giants into a game where Daniel Jones has to throw to try to get them back and that pass rush can get after you and they have these these corners who can be opportunistic in, in, in that situation, uh, that's advantageous. Then on, on offense, the Eagles are able to run the ball effectively when they build a lead, especially, right? So yep, yep. that's that's how they win this game. How they lose this game, it's it would be the way they lost to Washington, the way they lost to New Orleans, and it's probably a recipe that the Giants are able to play in that if the Giants can control the clock on offense, right, if, if they can convert some third downs to keep the Eagles' offense off the field and extend some drives, the Eagles' defense really doesn't give big plays up. But what 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 they're susceptible to is you know if 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 you're if 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 you're going to convert a third and six you know if Daniel Jones can get a quarterback run on a third and eight and stay on the field and then sustain drives and have these extended ball control drives keeps the Eagles offense off the field that's that's a recipe there and then on 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 defense the Eagles so when the Giants are on defense when the Eagles are on offense. Uh, the, the key there, I would say, is is uh, if they can force turnovers, the Eagles early in the year were really good at not turning the ball over. They they haven't been as efficient there during mm. the last, you know, five, six games of the season. And then right. the, the big thing in that Week 18 game, and I know that Week 18 game people don't look at as 
like a template for, or, or, or anything of that nature because the Giants weren't playing their top players. But in that game, the Eagles were, I think, one of five in the red zone. That game looks a lot different if the Eagles can score in the red zone. So red zone defense is going to be critical because the Eagles can move the ball. But if the Giants play good red zone defense, then and they keep and they instead of giving up seven, they give up three, they stay in that game and then anything can happen. Excellent point. Giants had the fifth ranked red zone defense in the league as well under Wink Martindale. So something to watch. Last one, Zach, you got a prediction for me? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I respect what the Giants have done this year in, in that, I mean, they far exceeded what I expected. They're they're a, a well-coached, disciplined team, and they're definitely on the rise here. That said, I think the Eagles are, are, are simply better. I, I think they're more talented. I think they're, they're, uh, they've are they're played better this year. They have more rest going into this game. Uh, so they have home field advantage. I, th- I think the Eagles win. I don't think I'm, – I'm not sure the Eagles cover. I can see this being between – like four and eight points, somewhere in that range. Uh, But I I, I do think the Eagles win this game. We really appreciate your expertise, your time. Look forward to seeing you at Lincoln Financial Field on Saturday night. He is Zach Berman of The Athletic and the Birds with Friends podcast. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it, man. Great. Great. Thank you, Pat. All right. Welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Let's get over to Pat's Picks, brought to you by betonline.ag. We're going to start with the Kansas City Chiefs at home, minus nine against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Doug Peterson against Andy Reid. I love the Jaguars. I think Peterson is a coach of the year candidate, and I predicted them to beat the LA Chargers and get here, but I don't think they're going to be able to keep it close against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Frankly, the Jaguars fall behind often, and the reason they were able to beat the Chargers was because they not only scored down the stretch and Trevor Lawrence exploded, Their defense also did the job against Justin Herbert and the Chargers. And I don't think they're going to be able to stop Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense. I think Kadarius Toney gets a touchdown, the former Giant. And frankly, last season, when the Cincinnati Bengals beat the Chiefs in the playoffs, they did shut them down in the second half after an explosive first half. But that was Bengals coordinator Lou Anarumo doing a ton of great work, underappreciated work, to limit the Chiefs, and suddenly they went cold. I don't think the Jaguars are going to have what it takes defensively to do that, so give me the Chiefs to win and cover. Let's go to my best bet of the week, the Eagles, minus 7.5 at home against the Giants. The Giants have a chance to backdoor cover here, but I like the Eagles to cover. I think it comes down to Jalen Hurts being healthy. If he's healthy, I don't think the game ends up close. If it shows that his shoulder is bothering him and they can't call plays the same way and he can't execute, then obviously this game becomes up for grabs. But frankly, the Giants did not prove when their starters played against the Eagles in early December that they could keep this close. And I think Saquon Barkley and the Giants are going to have to demonstrate early in this game that they are on a level playing field with an Eagles team that the Giants admitted in early December December was a much better squad. Bills minus five and a half against the Cincinnati Bengals. This game has a chance to go either way. I just think that the Bengals are too banged up at some key spots, corner, tackle, special teams. Uh, Injuries are really getting to them. Joe Burrow and the Bengals can still score on offense. I think Anarumo is working with a little less personnel-wise, but let's be honest. I mean, they have a chance. You can't write them off. And Buffalo is susceptible. Buffalo's pass rush needs to show that they can get there, minus Von Miller. And it's not like they're going to stop the Bengals cold, but I think Josh Allen – is going to put this team on the back, his back 
and the Bills are going to do it with enough dynamic weapons and uh, still with some emotional surge and momentum coming off that difficult situation with DeMar Hamlin. And then 49ers minus four against the Cowboys. I'm going to take the Dallas Cowboys to cover. I think it'd be tough to pick them to win this game, but Brock Purdy, as well as he's played, if he goes up against Micah Parsons and this pass rush and Dallas gives him even a little bit of an issue, I think he's going to put some passes up for grabs and Trayvon Diggs is going to end up with at least one interception in this game. Run after catch, stopping that from Debo Samuel and the Niners uh, receiving core and Christian McCaffrey is going to be imperative for the Cowboys. It would be difficult for me to pick the Cowboys to win this outright on the money line, but I like them to cover. I like this game to be close um, even with the Niners having won 10 straight. So those are my Pat's picks for the, for the NFL divisional round. Thanks for joining. Thanks to Noggin Boss again for this awesome lid. Uh, keep on my Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, wherever you are for more content during this Giants playoff run and the NFL playoffs will be at the Super Bowl, whether the Giants are in it or not. Can't even believe I'm saying that right now. But thank you guys. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast on my YouTube channel and on the Believe Network's YouTube channel as well. So thanks again. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.